Seriously, though, I, I like the premise behind that song, even if the characters in the song are a little jaded. I don't know if you ever listened to The Gambler, but um, you got to know when to hold them. In other words, uh, when you've got a good hand and you ought to stay in the game, right? Uh, you've got to know when to fold them. Sorry, fold them. There's no TH there. You've got to know when to fold them, when to surrender your ante, right? And just say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to sit this hand out. And then you've got to know when to walk away. In other words, have the wisdom to see when it's appropriate to leave that game. Whether cutting your losses or, or just quitting while you're ahead. Anybody good at that here? You're a good quitter? I, I can tell you it is a real struggle sometimes to know when to walk away, especially when it comes to trying to reach people for the Lord. You know, uh, sometimes we take upon ourselves a responsibility that belongs to the Holy Spirit. Uh, what's really helpful, though, is that God, through the Bible, gives us guidance to help us to be able to discern. Uh, so if you would, please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 13. Um, and while, it, just in case the kids are looking at the bingo pictures, um, I want to back up just a little bit and recall what happened right before today's passage. Uh, the last two weeks' messages were based on verses 16 through 39, and that's where Paul gives kind of a condensed version of the history of God's people. The first half of that, he covered uh, roughly Abraham through David. Hey, I see your face. And uh, good to see it. And on the, uh, the next one, he, he, the next... Um, section of that he is he's actually speaking of David's offspring the Messiah who is Jesus Christ that's right and so uh, he, he recounts what Jesus did he recounts that he was arrested he was crucified uh, he was killed he was raised from the dead and then he explains how how he himself and the other disciples had been given this glorious task of proclaiming the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name and he explained how how Jesus set God's people free from everything that the law could not. And this was tremendously good news. And it wasn't only for the, the nation of Israel. It was for people of every nation. It was a glorious word for all who listened, all who could hear it, if they would accept it. Now today's text, though, begins with the last recorded sentence of Paul's sermon, which was a warning to those present, and I believe to us. So we'll open with that right after we pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you this morning thankful for his intercession, thankful for his death and his resurrection, thankful that your salvation comes to us by grace through faith and that we cannot earn it, for we would not be capable of doing so. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the ability to be here together, Father. Uh, I ask for, for each person that's that's here today, that our hearts, minds, and, and spiritual eyes will be open to receive the truth. For those who are watching from home, uh, who might be traveling right now, we pray safety and protection, but we also pray, Father, um, that you will do the same for them, open their eyes and hearts to better understand your word. And Father, may we gain something and take it with us today that's valuable. And Lord, I, I know that we will because your word is full of goodness. We lift this up to you in Christ's name, amen. All right, friends, uh, starting in verse 40. Beware, therefore, Paul says, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And then he quotes, Look, you scoffers, 
Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Now, I don't know how many of you were watching last week, but you might recall that every, every New Testament event that was an Old Testament prophecy fulfilled got a little asterisk. Do you remember that? Next to the word promise. Okay, well, well there's another prophecy that would be fulfilled here. This is, Paul is quoting from Habakkuk 1.5. In the context, this is hundreds of years before this, uh, the prophecy had an immediate fulfillment in the, the Babylonian army, the Chaldean army. But like many prophecies, um, there were two different, or at least two different fulfillments. There was a, a year fulfillment and a far fulfillment. You know, there's, there was one, I'm sorry, anybody remember that? Please tell me somebody remembers that. It's Grover. Okay, that's all right. No worries. There was, there was a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, and the latter of the two is what he's referring to. Okay, he's, he's talking about, uh, he's warning them essentially not to be the fulfillment of this prophecy. Look, you scoffers, be astounded, he says, and perish. What does that mean? Yeah. He says, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. What God is saying through Paul is that he is doing something awesome in their midst, and they need to be careful not to miss it. And I think that this, this passage, as well as, as the experience that Paul and Barnabas had here, it helps us to be aware that many won't listen. Many people won't listen to the gospel that we've been given, which is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And if you are a Christian, then you have been entrusted with the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for our sins. He purchased the forgiveness for mankind, and he rose from the dead. He was victorious over sin and over the grave, and we receive that forgiveness of sins by grace through faith in him. We all may not fully understand every aspect of this, but faith in Jesus means that the saving power of his blood has been applied to you and to me. We are, we are freed freed from the power and the penalty of sin. And we're freed to serve him. We're freed to serve one another in love. God has opened our hearts and our minds and our eyes to receive the gospel. But the message doesn't resonate with many people because their hearts are hardened, because their minds are closed. And they prefer to believe that they either don't need to be saved or they believe there's another way to be saved. There are at least three different kinds of people who won't listen. And I'm going to describe them very quickly because Scripture does. Okay, so bear in mind, none of us, none of us have the capability to see another person's heart. And so we, we have to be very careful here when it comes to making assumptions. That's, so I just want to share what I'm about to say here. This is biblical, but the purpose... Of sharing this is to help you with discernment. It is not to presume that we have the ability to condemn anyone or to know their heart, okay? So, three categories of folks who won't listen to the truth are skeptics and scoffers, insincere, quote, believers, 
end quote, and those with itching ears. And I want to share very quickly what these look like. Okay, but bear in mind, there, there will be some overlap. All right, I, I put skeptics and, and scoffers together, even though they're not the same thing, but here's why. They tend to share a quality that feeds their ignorance, and that is pride. Okay, a skeptic is a person um, who, who doubts as a habit. Everything they hear, they, they, they disagree with it until they can have it proven to them. Now, now there, there is a good, uh, you know, there's a healthy kind of skepticism that can keep us from falling for stupid things. But, but if being skeptical is your way of life, that's not good, okay? Because that can translate into a, a faithless pragmatism that only accepts what it can see. This leads to scoffing. A scoffer puts his own perspective on the throne of what is right and wrong. And, and, and he mocks those who disagree, even the God who made him. And by the way, God will not be mocked, Scripture says. To scoff is to put oneself in a very precarious position. The Proverbs are full of examples of scoffers. Um, just don't expect them to listen. Now, the second group are the type of people that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 15, 8, when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. They're also the types that Jesus refers to in Matthew 7. You remember those folks calling out, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things to whom Jesus says, get out of my sight, I never knew you. These are the people who claim to know the Lord, but refuse to obey Him. They are, they're religious, but they're not truly born again. Jesus calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. And while, while we cannot claim to know uh, an individual's ultimate destination, because again, God knows the heart, Jesus does very clearly say, by their fruit you will know them. And so if a person claims to be a Christian, but their life says that's a lie, don't be surprised if they won't listen to the truth. The third kind of person Paul talks about in his second letter to Timothy, I'm going to read part of that later. Uh, it's someone who refuses to listen to the truth because they're too busy listening to teachers that will scratch a carnal itch. You know, when he talks about itching ears, He's not referring to a physiological problem. Uh, he's talking about people that have a desire to hear something that speaks to their flesh rather than their spirit. And so they accumulate for themselves people who will tell them what they want to hear. Pat on the back messages. They say a, a person can live without any repentance of sin and still please God. That, that's an itchy ear type thing. Um, they supplant the gospel of Jesus Christ with self-help messages or, or prosperity rubbish. This is dangerous. If you were to go to a church that tells you that you're a great person and you don't need to change, don't walk, run from that place. Get out of that place. And if you hear more about the blessings of God than about God himself, get out of that place. You know, the, the stuff that's hard to hear is often the stuff that's the most necessary. 
And if you never feel challenged by a sermon, you're either listening to the wrong person or you are the wrong person. We should all be challenged by the message. Anyway, so Paul's addressing people who are hearing the very truth that can save their souls. And yet he recognizes that many of them won't listen. But there are others who would. Luke writes, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. That, that would be immensely encouraging for a preacher. Just saying, you know, people could, please talk next Sunday even longer. You know, the, if that type thing, I'm just saying. Anyway, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And before we get to the application of this passage, let, let's embrace that when Paul says, when, or when Luke writes, continuing in the grace of God, they meant moving from traditional Judaism into faith in Christ. He's not telling them that. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Okay? That's not, that's not what he's saying. Paul makes it very clear elsewhere, I'm going to say particularly in Romans 10, that following the law doesn't make anyone righteous. And, and also, being biologically Jewish doesn't save anybody. Okay? It is only by grace through faith that people are saved. So we should understand. We should we should recognize that urging them to continue in the grace of God meant, meant insisting that these new believers uh, would continue in the faith that they had just acquired. Okay? Now next I want us to notice, uh, they're talking both to, it says, devout Jews and to converts that were Gentiles by birth. But they were also reaching out to Gentiles who had not converted to Judaism which raises a whole bunch of questions later on in Acts, but we're not going to get there today. But uh, for us, though, there's another application I'd really like to draw our attention to. While we should know that many won't listen to our testimony about Jesus, we should be ready to preach to anybody who will listen. See, Paul and Barnabas, they, they didn't make distinctions, you know, based on ethnicity. They, instead, they focused on people who would listen, <laughs> people who wanted to hear. And I, I think there's a lot of people... Today, in the world, in America, in McKinney, Texas, in your school, in your workplace, or, or whatever, who want to hear God's truth, and they need to be exposed to the gospel message. Let me, uh, let me read you what Paul wrote to Timothy. This is right before Paul was executed. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I'm, I'm going to read just a bit further, even though it's not up here because it ties into our previous point. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. In other words, preach to anyone who will listen as long as that opportunity presents because things are going to get harder. You know, preaching truth, it does go in and out of season. You know, sometimes uh, people are more receptive 
In other times, like I believe our American society is right now, they are far more likely to prefer comfortable lies to uncomfortable truth. Those called to preach must be prepared to preach in both circumstances. Now, now it's possible, some of y'all got, might, you, you might be like, hey, you know what, that's, that's nice, but it doesn't really apply to me, you know, because I'm not in vocational ministry. Um, and I'm just going to say that I think that's a fair point, but I'm going to argue against it. Okay, the Apostle Peter also wrote a letter, and this was not directed to a vocational minister, like the letter Paul wrote to Timothy. This, this was to Christians in general. Peter said, in your hearts, we read this earlier, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, church, be ready to share Jesus whenever God opens the door to do so. Okay, because the implication, the implication here is very strong too. We Christians should all lead exemplary lives of, of peace and grace and kindness so that people should ask us why we're different. They should ask us about this hope that we have that keeps us anchored when the sea is tossing. They should wonder why we don't jump into into sin with both feet the way that they do. It's because we believe in who Jesus is and what God has done through him. And that, friends, should have permanently changed us. Every Christian should be ready and, and willing and able to preach the gospel when God provides the opportunity. And every Christian, listen, Every Christian should be different enough from the world around them, okay? That, that people notice the difference and they ask about it. And when they do, we should treat them graciously and not, and not be condescending because God has opened our eyes to the truth. As Peter goes on to say, he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. You remember we talked about how important that is? Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You know, Peter and Paul and Barnabas, these guys knew what it was like to be slandered. They'd been reviled. Some of us do too. Some of us know what it's like. And, and, and one day, perhaps we all will. And, and, and I hope that we'll wear that badge proudly because suffering for Christ is an honor. Anyway, um, continuing on, don't worry, the rest of these points are not as time-consuming as the first two, just so you know. Uh, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I think that's amazing. Almost the whole city. And remember where they are. They're still in Pisidia, Antioch, which is, which is primarily a Gentile area, okay? But it says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, now he's referring to the, the Jewish leaders here because we know that some of the Jewish converts had already come over to Christianity. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, if this is any sort of example of what we can look forward to when, whenever we choose to stand up for God, uh, we should expect to be missed, okay? And not missed as in like, where'd they go? But missed as in misunderstood, for one thing, okay? Because scripture makes it clear that unspiritual minds cannot comprehend the truth of God. And in that regard, they're not going to be able to figure out what it is that motivates us. 
And by the way, misunderstanding is also something that's endemic within the church. You know, just earlier this morning, uh, just so you guys know, in case anybody was wondering, my kids were being just fine, but I thought I saw one of them on a device. <laughs> so I went over to correct that, and then I was totally wrong. We misunderstand things. It happens, you know. Um, but we'll also be misrepresented. Misunderstood and misrepresented because, see, Christ's enemies, they hate his followers too. So expect to be misrepresented. If we're living according to the gospel, then hopefully they'll have to invent reasons to slander us like they did with Daniel. Here's an example. I, I was recently called hateful <laughs> and, I, and I was unfriended by an alleged Christian. I say unfriended. This is a Facebook thing, you know, so. I, but I was unfriended because I pointed out, again, an alleged Christian. I pointed out that scripture teaches that practicing homosexual behavior is sinful. But also, I pointed out that Christ can sanctify a person out of that lifestyle. Now, what I said was both scriptural and, and it was observable. Okay, this has been proven. And I made the statement out of love for those who are deceived into believing otherwise. And, and I, I have said and will say the same thing about people living in unrepentant heterosexual sin. But, but this, this loving act was incorrectly viewed as hatred. And it was misrepresented as such by a person who won't listen to the truth. Just expect it. Then, of course, we should expect to be mistreated because Jesus told his followers that's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to be mistreated. I've said a lot about that on previous occasions, so I'm not going to go into there. Let's just let's keep going. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. Notice that word? Boldly. Not, not because they're sure of themselves. Because they are sure of their message and the Lord who gave them that message. There's a wonderful certainty to knowing the gospel truth. They spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Anybody know why the word of God was spoken first to the Jews? What's that? Yeah, because God said so. <laughs> this was his people all along, right? That he, he, said, he said, this is, Paul writes about it in Romans 10 and 11. He talks about this is, they got the law, they got the prophets. You know, uh, I guess that's where you guys are in Sunday school, probably today, right? It's, you're nodding, so. <laughs> oh, okay. It, it's funny how often, though, stuff comes up in Sunday school and then in service. Um, but even when Christ was physically on earth, he said he had come for who? The lost sheep of, of Israel. They were supposed to receive the opportunity to witness the Messiah first before the rest of the nations got their chance. But the nation of Israel killed him. And then even after he rose from the dead, many of them, especially their leaders, their religious leaders, refused to accept the truth and repent. Which led to what Paul says next. He says, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And he's quoting right there from Isaiah 49, which the Jews would have been very familiar with, but it also sounds very similar to the words of Jesus himself 
from Luke 24. Thus it is written, Jesus said, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. So despite being strongly rejected by the Jewish leaders, Paul recognizes that his message is spreading to others. I mean, including some of the rank and file Jews, but also Jewish con uh, converts and even the ethno, even the Gentiles. Now, what he does here, I believe, shows us how to stay focused on the mission. What is the mission that Jesus gave his followers? Go forth and preach. Okay. What else? Make disciples. We often refer to that as our great co, meaning together, mission. Okay. And I know many of us are, are familiar with this, um, but I want you to humor me here. We're going to look at it again. Okay. I don't think the Great Commission should ever get old. So, um, and by the way, what I'm about to read, this is a very word-for-word -word translation of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It's from the literal standard version. This is after the resurrection. It's before Jesus ascended to heaven. And coming near, Jesus spoke to them, as his disciples, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth was given to me. Having gone then, disciple all the nations, immersing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, whatever I commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days until the full end of the age. You know, the only imperative tense in this passage, meaning the only command, is to disciple all the nations. The rest of the verbs in the sentence, you know, that, are, that seem like they're, they're commands, those all modify that command. Meaning, those things teach us what it is to disciple the nations, what that would include. It means going, baptizing by immersion, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And y'all, this is something that we can all do. We can all disciple someone. I love that Jesus didn't say, as you're going, make converts. That's the Holy Spirit's job, right? Our job is to be faithful with the message that we've received. Proclaim it, share it, and then to, to disciple those people. I'm using as a verb here too. Disciple those people whom God draws. And again, you, you can do this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've gone through the, 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 the process that he has called us to, you can baptize somebody else. That, that doesn't have to be the pastor's job. I think most of you guys already know that, but just in case you don't, uh, I encourage parents, baptize your kids. Because you know what? Pastors come and go. I mean, I plan to be here a long time, but the Lord knows. Your parents are always going to be your parents. Amen? You know, if you, if you lead someone to Christ, why should I baptize them? You led them to Christ. You can all baptize somebody. You know, uh, you can teach people to keep Jesus' commands. You can do that. You don't have to bring them to church and let the preacher do it. You can do that. We can all disciple someone. Anyone that has influence in the life of another person is discipling them, whether that's intentional or not, okay? And it's been said that, that disciples of Jesus Christ don't happen by accident. Someone has to intentionally invest in that person. 
and teach them what Christ commanded. Are, are we doing that? Are, are, are you doing that? I mean, this, this is what we're supposed to do. We need to, be, we need to be doing this. This is our mission. Make disciples. Stay focused. All right, we're going to keep going. And when the disciples, excuse me, when the Gentiles heard this, uh, heard, they heard that God had sent the message uh, of forgiveness and salvation to them as well. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. What a great response. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I want you to uh, imagine, if you will, it's kind of a cliche, okay, but if you've ever read anything um, by, uh, somebody's going to have to give me the name now because it escaped me, the guy that wrote uh, The Christmas Carol. Thank you. If you ever read Dickens, um, I want you to picture this cliche, a group of raggedy orphans standing in the snow outside the window of a restaurant, holding their, their little empty bellies and watching the rich people eat. Okay, I want you to picture that in your head. Now, I want you to picture the owner of the restaurant suddenly throwing open the doors and inviting them to come inside, out of the cold, and partake of the feast, while at the same time kicking out some of those fat cats that were refusing to eat because the food just didn't look the way they wanted it to. Okay, because that's what's happening. That's pretty much what's going on here. You know, and thank God it did because that's how the gospel got to us. That's how we received the truth. Because God said, I'm going to let it go outside of the biological nation of Israel. Very few people in the world today, uh, ratio-wise, are children of Abraham by blood. But every person who belongs to Jesus Christ by grace through faith is a child of God. No matter what color, no matter what nationality. You know, and, and this is more good news on top of the good news, right? But there's also a little phrase that's nestled in this passage I want to point out because it's some very solid theology in less than 10 words, okay? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Church, let's remember that God is sovereign. He is the indisputable, all-powerful king of the universe. He is sovereign over history, he's sovereign over the hearts of men and women, and he is sovereign over salvation itself. And notice that everyone who is appointed to eternal life believed, and thus no one who was not appointed to eternal life did not believe. No one who was not, boy that was convoluted wasn't it, but you get what I'm saying? Probably, thanks. <laughs> Everybody who was appointed to eternal life believed. Whatever you believe the Bible means when it talks about election, we cannot ignore passages like this which plainly show salvation is in God's hands. We also have to recognize that God's sovereignty doesn't negate our responsibility. As Paul told those who opposed him, he said they had judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. So here's the point. Jesus said no one receives him without the Father's enabling them to do so. That, that ought to be a huge comfort to us. That ought to be really encouraging. Why? Because, because listen, it takes the pressure off. You know, we, we present the gospel, we, we, we present our faith, we present the facts, 
and we try to live the way that, that, that God wants us to live and, and, and try to actually walk the walk as well as talk the talk, but God changes people's minds and hearts. Not us. That's his job. I think it's a real load off our shoulders to realize we are not supposed to be the Holy Spirit. You are not God, neither am I. Thank God, praise God. We do our job, and he does his. And then as Luke records, the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. Cause effect. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas respond to the slander with boldness, and it made the Gentiles super happy. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. So they, they got their wish then, right? But it says, they, and that, he's referring now to Paul and Barnabas, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Now, this is one of the kind of, there's not a whole lot of places in Scripture where it has that weird uh, statement about shaking the dust off their feet. But uh, an, an equivalent gesture to us would probably be like, right? It's saying, I'm done. Although I think their way is probably more official. <laughs> you know, I don't know where it started or if it was a cultural thing in the Middle East, but, but the first time we hear about shaking off the dust is in the Gospels. Jesus tells his disciples to go from town to town, right, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And, and he says, if anyone rejects them, if a town will not uh, accept them in, he says, shake the dust off your feet, go to another town. And that was apparently a, a ceremonial way of saying, we're done trying here. We're going to leave you to fend for yourself. And in the present passage, it shows us that Paul and Barnabas decided it was the right time to walk away. And finally, we get to that part of the sermon where the title makes sense, right? In case you're wondering, why were we listening to Kenny Rogers earlier? Okay, we can finally address that question. If we are sharing the gospel, or are sharing any of God's truth with someone else, okay, how can we know when to walk away? If we consider this passage to be instructive, and I think we ought to, then we can learn from how the disciples reacted to the leadership there. What did they do? I mean, obviously, they, they shook the dust off their feet as a sign against them, but, but that, was, that was after they were driven out, according to Luke, because even before they were run out of town on a rail, the disciples, what did they do? They had already told off the Jewish leaders in the town. Right? They, they had already said, they, they, they said, you guys have disqualified yourselves from eternal life because they'd rejected the message. And on top of that, they, you know, you're not listening, so we're going to the Gentiles. And I think that's our answer. I think the, the proper time to walk away, to wash our hands of a situation, so to speak, is when they refuse to listen. And just a reminder, this is in reference to sharing the gospel, okay? Not talking about your family obligations, you know, or your marriage, or something like that. As, as a spouse or as a parent, you have got a different level of responsibility and commitment in that situation. You're, you're in a covenant, Okay? But if you're trying to share the gospel or any of God's truth with someone that's refusing to listen, don't feel bad about reprioritizing that relationship or even moving on. Now listen, church, we'll make sure you understand this. It, it, it's on you 
and it's on me, okay, to love people and to forgive people and to speak truth and love when necessary, but it is not on us to convince anyone to follow Jesus or to, or to force them to make the right choice. Who's, whose job is that? The Holy Spirit, thank you. And I'm saying this because I, I believe God wants us to be free to invest our, our time and emotional energy into people that will receive it rather than in those who aren't ready. And listen, I want to make this clear, okay? I'm not saying we give up on them. I'm saying we give them up to God. Does that make sense? Some of y'all, very few of you, but a few of you, were here the first time I was here at the ripe old age of, what, 30, 31? A very few of you may remember the high school days. Um, very few of you. But it's amazing how different a person can be. And I got to tell you, it was in my high school days that my parents said, we can't, we can't do this anymore. They told me, we had to turn you and your sister, by the way, it's not just me, said we had to turn you over to God. Because you were too wild. We, we couldn't handle you. We couldn't, we couldn't make you do anything. And they turned me over to God. And God does miracles, guys. He does miracles. We have to give them to God and let him work. Giving someone to God also, that doesn't mean you'll never get another chance to, to, to witness to that person. And nor, nor does it mean you shouldn't take opportunities, especially if you have a close relationship with that person. But don't be trapped spinning your wheels if, if God opens the door for you to be effective and fruitful ministering to somebody else. Witnessing and sharing the gospel to someone else. In the meantime, you can pray that God will break up the stony heart and turn it into good soil because he can. Pray for that. For the record, Paul made two more missionary journeys over the next you know, couple of decades, and he apparently went to Antioch, Pisidia again both times, right? Which proves shaking off the dust doesn't have to be permanent. It's more of a, a reorganizing of our priorities and our opportunities so that we can make the most of our time, so that God can use us most effectively. So friends, if you've been feeling guilty because you've been unable to reach someone for Jesus, Turn that over to the Lord. You know, recognize that, that he's in charge of that. And, and even you might ask him, hey, is it time for me to walk away from this for now? Because you can always re-engage if God opens the door, okay? All right, last sentence. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly the reaction that we should have when we see God at work. You know, even if it's not a situation that we would consider ideal, right? I mean, I'm not sure which disciples Luke is talking about here, if it's the new converts, you know, but if, if, if that's the case, then they're joyful and full of the Spirit, even though the people that just led them to Christ just got the boot, right? Or if he's talking about Paul and Barnabas, they just got kicked out of town. So I don't know who he's talking about, but they're full of joy. They're full of joy in the Holy Spirit because the Word of God is spreading, and we too should rejoice at what God is doing. Look for it. See it when it happens. Thank it. You know, we, we might be horrified at, at wars and rumors of war. We might be shocked, you know, to see how immoral 
our society and our culture has become. And we may even be experiencing great personal trials, whether it be uh, uh, mental health or physical health or family situations. But God is at work. He's at work in us. He's at work around us. He's at work through us. And so um, let's, let's do these things. Let's, let's be aware that many aren't going to listen. Let's preach to anyone who will. Let's expect to be misunderstood and misrepresented and mistreated. But let's stay focused on the mission and the whole time. Remember, God is sovereign over all this. God's got it. Know when to walk away and rejoice at what God is doing. I want to extend this invitation to you, friends. If, if you are here today and you're realizing for the first time, if you're recognizing the truth of the message of Christ, just like the people in the story, then, then I, want to, I, I want you to, to recognize this, okay? He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. I'm calling you today to confess Jesus Christ. Confess him as the son of God, son of living God, be baptized according to his word. And if you've done that already, then the Lord commands you, be a good disciple. Learn from, from what Jesus taught and live it. And if you're looking for a, a church home, or, or maybe you found a church home, but you've not officially joined, I want to encourage you to do that today. I invite you to do that today. And, and listen, if you want to come forward for any other reason, to receive prayer, to confess prayer, publicly or privately, you know, anything the Spirit's put on your heart, I want to encourage you to do so. I'm going to ask 